Good morning, Crossview Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Would you bow your heads quickly with me as I pray? God, we sense your presence here among us, and we just want to acknowledge that you are with us. We thank you that you're here. Have your way in our hearts as we open your word now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so what a perfect day to open with a football analogy, right? So have you ever noticed at the end of an NFL game that uh, the player, sometimes the camera catches this, sometimes it doesn't, but have you ever noticed that the players kind of gather from both teams at the center of the field when the game's done, and they'll take their helmets off, and they'll get on one knee, and they get into a circle, and they're kind of sitting there in the center field doing that? What are they doing there? praying, right? They're praying. So how do you know they're praying? Because we can't hear them pray. There's no like announcement. There's nothing like, you know, the announcer saying, and no, the football players will gather to center field for a word of prayer. There's nothing like that, right? There's just, we see this, but we really don't know for sure what's going on, but we know they're praying because they're taking the posture of prayer. We see when someone's on their knees and their heads are bowed and they're moving their mouth, we know that that person is praying. That is a lot like our passage this morning. In our passage this morning, there's no black and white word in the text that says Moses is praying, but we see Moses praying all over this text. And so that's what we want to dive into today. All of us want to make a difference in this world. Every single one of us has this longing in our hearts for something bigger than ourselves. Ecclesiastes talks about that. We all want to live for something that's bigger than us. We want to be part of something that is larger than our existence. And this morning, we're going to see in our passage something that we could all be a part of that can literally change the course of human history. We can all be a part of this one simple thing that can change your future and the world forever. And you could leave a mark when you're gone that stands for eternity. And that simple thing we could do is pray. Prayer is that big. Prayer is that powerful. We're going to see that Prayer isn't just this religious duty thing that we do, but it can be something that can literally change the course of history. So let's take a look. We are in a series in prayer, and uh, today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Exodus 17. We're going to be focusing on verses 8 to 16. We are in this series called Prayer, and we said that there's three types of prayer that we looked at. Uh, connecting prayer, which we looked at last week, which is us connecting with God and getting to know him more. Uh, Then there's intercessory prayer. That's what we're going to talk about today, Uh, praying for others and praying for uh, other causes. And then petition prayer, which is something that we're very familiar with, where we just bring our needs to God and say, God, help me with this. I need this. I need that. So these are three types of prayer we see in Scripture. And today's passage gives us a great picture, that second one, intercessory prayer. Which again, intercessory prayer means we're praying for another person. 
or we're praying for a cause outside of ourselves. It's where we're not really going for God and saying, here's my needs, God. We're saying, God, move in that person's life. God, move with this cause that's your will, where we're praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an intercessory prayer. And this particular story of intercessory prayer we're going to look at has an element of spiritual warfare attached to it. Spiritual warfare. That could be a confusing thing. And so we want to talk about that and explain it a little bit because that element is very much alive in this story. In this story, we're going to pull out five basic things we need to be aware of when it comes to intercessory prayer. Five basic things we need to be aware of when it comes to intercessory prayer. The first one is this, that a spiritual battle exists. A spiritual battle exists. The background of the story that Sue read for us here in Exodus 17 is before the people of Israel got to this place where they were attacked, uh, well before that, they were slaves in Egypt. They served under an Egyptian pharaoh, For 400 years, four generations, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God wanted to set his people free, so he called Moses to be a deliverer. Moses went and he uh, stood before Pharaoh and he said, free my people, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart, wouldn't do it. And so all of a sudden, God started moving in really, really cool, crazy ways, amazing ways. Plagues came, and, and you saw the power of God displayed in powerful ways. And finally, Moses takes the millions of people at the time and says, we're out of here. And they left, and they flee Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, and there's this, how are we going to go any further? The Egyptian army started barreling down behind them to take them back into captivity. God parts the Red Sea. They go forward to cross the Red Sea where they parted, When the last person in the people of God's uh, caravan went by, God closes the Red Sea, swallows up the Egyptian army that's trying to take them back into captive, and they are set free. Right after that, they were ushered into a war. But it wasn't a war like a physical battle. It was a war with an enemy they could not see with their human eyes. It was a spiritual war for the loyalty of their hearts within them. You see, there's this spiritual battle that's going on. It was going on then, and it's going on now, and it's between God and Satan. And as the people of God, we are caught up into this spiritual battle, i.e. spiritual warfare. Now, the problem with spiritual warfare and the problem with acknowledging the spiritual battle, in the church, we've typically fallen on one of two ditches with this. The ditch on this side we fall into is that all of a sudden there's a demon behind every tree. Every single thing in my life is caused by Satan. There's just, it's just everywhere all the time. And we almost get obsessed with the spiritual battle. And the danger with that is it can confuse what's actually written here. Because when you have that mindset, you kind of feel like, in terms of spiritual warfare, it's like this cosmic boxing ring. And sometimes God takes a shot and he wins, and sometimes Satan takes a shot and he wins, and it depends on what's going to happen, and we're involved, but we've got to overpower so God can overcome Satan, and it's all up to us, and that's not what happens at all. That's bad theology. 
What we sang today is true. There is no rival to God. There is no equal to God. God's not in a boxing ring hoping he wins. God won. It's over. Done. The other side of the ditch is that we can live life without ever even realizing we're in a battle. Without even acknowledging there's a dark side, without acknowledging Satan is active still, without a lot acknowledging that he still uh, attacks in many certain ways, we kind of just get caught up in the here and now and how we live, and we just live our life oblivious of the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. The place that godly followers of Jesus Christ want to be in is in that place of wisdom in the middle, where we're discerning, where we're aware that Satan is alive and well until Christ returns and he's attacking and active, but his power is limited. He's not going to over, he, there's certain things he cannot do. There's certain things he does not know. And we want to live in that place where we're governed by the scriptures as we step out in spiritual warfare. Satan can attack through evil externally, but many times he attacks by enticing the sinful nature within us. You see, the opposite of biblical love is not hate. Sometimes we think love, hate. But the opposite of biblical love, the love that the Bible speaks of, is not hate. The opposite of biblical love is self. It's all over in Scripture. The battle is for us to carry our cross and deny ourselves so that we can walk in the power of God. I don't know if you've ever seen a satanic Bible. I don't recommend you do that. I happen to see one. I looked at it. When you look at the contents of a satanic Bible, it doesn't worship Satan. It worships self. See, the opposite of biblical love is the worship of self. And so part of doing warfare is denying ourselves connecting ourselves in prayer to God that we could be infused with his power to go forward. And that's what we see in our story today. That's what we see happening in the people of God as an intercessor prays for them. And that is key. Because they just got set free from captivity in Egypt. Then all of a sudden, instead of being filled with joy that they've been set free, and instead of enjoying that freedom... They're thrown into this battle where now they're divided, they're discouraged, they're angry, they're complaining, they're bitter, they're filled with disbelief. Because in the midst of that battle, Satan was coming and poking at all the sinful things that lay in their hearts. And being unaware of it, they just rolled with it. And so they're in this middle of this spiritual battle where this is happening, and then to make matters worse, all of a sudden they're attacked from the outside by a physical enemy, the Amalekites. Exodus 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Rephidim was their camp where they were camping out. And so they're in this place dealing with this spiritual battle. Now all of a sudden, another battle comes upon them from the outside. The way the Amalekites attacked was dirty and cowardly. 
Moses would speak of it later in Deuteronomy 25 when he said to the people of God, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out from the journey. They met you on, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. And then he said, they did this because they had no fear of God. Today we would call what the Amalekites did a terrorist attack. It was unprovoked. It was targeted at the innocent, against the weak and the helpless and the stragglers in the back. Rather than battling for a just cause, the Amalekites did a sneak attack on defenseless women, children, and elderly that were coming along. That's why Moses said they had no fear of God. But I want you to notice they weren't acting alone. The Amalekites were taking orders from somewhere unseen. Satan was determined to prevent the people of Israel from going forward into the promised land that God gave him. So he was using this army. The Amalekites were being influenced by Satan to be a hindrance, to be a distraction to the people of God on the journey that God called them to. Until Jesus comes back again, we will always be in a battle. There will be an enemy that's unseen. There is so much more going beyond what we can imagine or see with our human eyes. There's a spiritual battle taking place 24-7 all around us. And here the people of God are called to stand and fight, not just physically as a defense, but they're called to stand and fight in the unseen battle as well. How do you fight an unseen battle? You do it in prayer. The way you fight unseen battles from the evil one is through prayer. And this story teaches us how we do that. The church today is in a battle. Like the people of Israel, we've been set free from slavery. We've been set free from the slave of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. Jesus died on a cross. We gave our life to him and now we are set free from that penalty. Because of Jesus, we are headed to glory with him. Our ultimate victory is certain because of what Jesus did. Jesus won the most important battle there ever was. It was a battle on the cross. And we can be sure that the enemy is completely defeated by things the Bible says like this in Colossians 2. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus that's who the he is, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. On the cross, not only did Jesus pay the penalty for our sin, he disarmed the powers of darkness forever. So why is it still there? Well, everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus is free from the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of hell. However, the enemies of God, Satan and demons, have not surrendered yet. And God, in his sovereignty, has allowed for this time period until he comes again for there to be a war. All of the followers of Jesus Christ are now engaged in a battle, whether they realize it or not. The attacks we face are sudden, like we see here. However, they're different because we don't see the physical battle that's in front of us. The battle we see, the battle we're involved with, is unseen with our physical eyes. 
This is what the battle looks like. This is what, how we live in this battle. First of all, we're engaged in a constant struggle against sinful temptation. In this battle, we contend for the unity of the church. The unity of the church is something that's so important and precious to God that Jesus included it in his prayers as he was leaving earth, that the church would be unified. And we contend and fight for that, and that's a battle. We carry on the gospel work into the world, into all the world. We carry on the mission of God, the love of God, the gospel of God, and that's a battle. We are constantly, as we step out in Christ's likeness, encountering the darkness. Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle isn't against human human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a lot of confusion today about this spiritual battle. Some think that the spiritual battle is always done, that Satan always attacks through physical things like terrorism and disease and depression and and natural disasters. And that's true. Some of that can come. However, I think the real spiritual warfare takes place inside our hearts. It's a battle for the allegiance. Satan tempts and whispers and lies to us to try to get us to forget what we learn in this book, to act out in ways we know We shouldn't act out. Our real enemy is not other people in the church or outside. Our real enemy is not all the godless things we see around us. Our real enemy is not the difficult situations we encounter and face. Our real enemy is Satan himself and the lies he tells us that get us to react to the things that we experience in this life. Even after we give our lives to God, Satan keeps attacking. So the question becomes for us as followers of Jesus, will we live in the day, in this day, in the here and now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, helping us, empowering us, teaching us? Or do we live by default and bow and yield to every sinful temptation that comes into our mind? We need help. An intercessor, someone to go between is needed. Number two, an intercessor is needed. Moses was an intercessor in the story we saw. An intercessor, again, someone who's praying for somebody else. That's what was needed then. That's what's needed now. And God gave them Moses, the people of Israel. So when they engaged this war, Moses prayed and God moved in a powerful way. We engage the spiritual battle the same way Moses did. We do it through prayer. Look at verses 9 to 12. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. And go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. We're going to talk about that in a second. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur, these three guys, went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. This is a picture of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is an amazing mystery. 
It's an unbelievable mystery that God calls us to be a part of, that God involves us in this process of releasing his power on earth. That's crazy. God involves us, his people, in this process of releasing his power on earth to carry out his mission. He wants us to be a part of this. That will change the course of history if you accept that invitation. It's amazing. The people of Israel here fought with real weapons. That was the means God determined them to fight. However, we see the real victory was not determined by the tactics of the people of Israel and their armies or Joshua's great leadership. It was instead dependent upon prayer. What Moses did determined the outcome of this battle. When Moses put his hands in the air, it was an unmistakable sign of dependence upon God alone to win the battle. Joshua's armies and tactics were a minor part. The power of God and the prayer of Moses were the major part. Moses was holding a staff. The staff was a symbol of God's power and his promise. And when he lifted that up to God, he was appealing to God to remember his covenant with the people, to defend them. The people of Israel generally stood and lifted their hands when they prayed. This is how they would pray. We usually, like the football players, get on one knee, bowing our head. That's culturally how we pray. The people of Israel culturally prayed like this, always standing, lifting their hands. When the soldiers were fighting, they looked up on the hill, and they saw Moses like this with a staff. They knew he was interceding and asking the power of God to be brought down in that moment. Lifting hands... It was a common practice in prayer, and it's all over the Bible. Psalm 63, 4, in your name I will lift my hands. Psalm 134, 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Psalm 28, hear my cry for mercy as I call the help to you, as I lift my hands toward your most holy place. This was commonplace for prayer and praise in the people of Israel. Moses stood raised with a staff, it was surrender, it was prayer, it was worship. When you come in here during our time of song, you might see people raising their hands and you must, might wonder, why do they do that? It's a physical sign of something going on in their heart inwardly. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of praise saying, especially when you sing something like, there is no rival, there is no equal. You're agreeing and you're saying, God, you are mighty. Moses was appealing to God to help the Israelites. He was in the role of an intercessor, asking God to move, saying, God, we are completely dependent on your power and your power alone. This type of prayer not only prevails in battlefields in ancient Middle East, it prevails in the dark places of our souls as well. When we pray for others like this, God's power is released in their life in the here and now today. Let's look at this more closely. Number three, praying is powerful. Look at verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. They won. The battle was won. God answers prayer. The people of God saw this firsthand. When Moses' hands were up, 
There was hardly a need to pray. We were winning the battle so strongly. When Moses' hands went down, it became a mess. Get the hands back up. And when Moses saw this and figured it out, he said, I am going to labor in prayer for this army no matter what. And so he sat, he put his hands up. Then Aaron and Hur took action to keep praying. The same holds true for us. We as followers of Jesus are under assault from Satan and the only way we win for the glory of God is when we pray and when we pray fervently. Prayer is needed for us personally and it's needed for others. So what happens when we live a prayerless life? What happens when we get so caught up in our schedules and our worlds that we go a day without praying, two days without praying, three days without praying, and we say we're Christians, but the only time we really engage in prayer is when someone else prays at church and we just kind of carry on. What happens then? Well, it's really simple. We will always lose the spiritual battle that's raging against us. We lose If we're not in a habit of consistent prayer, we will yield to sinful temptations. We will do things that damage the unity of the church. We will get so wrapped up in all these crazy things that are so contrary from what God is calling us to do on his mission that we waste energy and time and money on things that really don't matter in the bigger scheme of what God's calling his church to do. And not only is it true for us as individuals, It's true for us as the church of Jesus Christ. Woe to a church that stops praying. If we as a church stop asking God to empower us, to guide us, to lead us, to direct us, to help us, then members become divided, pastors and leaders fall into sin, missionaries overseas don't see fruit, People in our city who are lost, who need to hear of the love and the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ, won't hear it. The stakes are high, both individually and corporately. If we blow off praying and neglect prayer, then we lose these spiritual battles that come into our life, even if we're really good at fighting like Joshua was. See, Joshua was a good leader. But winning the spiritual battle is not about being smart. It's not about being talented. It's not about having the latest and greatest and being all up to date and reading the latest book. Winning the spiritual battle is not about having strength and knowledge to make things happen. Winning the spiritual battle is not about relying on ourselves. The spiritual war is won when we get on our knees and we yield and submit to God, saying, God, we're depending on you. We're abiding in you. We're resting in you. We're asking and relying on you. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, and he said, he must increase. I must decrease. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, we tend to live like this. Something bad happens to our life. We will try to fix it all that we can with our own strength. And then when last resort, if worse comes to worse, then we pray. We need to hit life with the first energies of prayer. We need prayer to be the natural reflex that we do, what we do when we encounter all things of life. God, what are you doing here? Help me notice you in this. What's happening? 
Winning the spiritual battle is about humbly calling out to God and being infused with his power as we live our lives. So why does it all depend on prayer? Why is prayer the ultimate spiritual weapon? Why is prayer the difference between victory and defeat? The answer is because God is the difference between victory and defeat. Prayer is powerful because it leads us into the presence of God. It releases God in his power. Prayer gives us more of God. Prayer isn't the be-all, end-all. It's the conduit to give us to the source of life, God himself. In prayer, we are saying, God, we need you. This is all up to you. And praying together is powerful, number four. Moses was a great man of connecting prayer, like what I talked about last week. He met with God. He talked with God. He gave him his complaints. He said, this is where I'm really at. He hung out in God's presence. And it says that Moses talked to God and God talked to Moses like a man speaks with a friend. He was also a great intercessor. As we see here, he's praying for the people of Israel. But it says back in verse 12 that Moses grew tired. Intercessory prayer can wear you out. The intercessor could not keep going alone. But that was part of God's will as well. Because even in Moses' weakness, God is glorified. Because now Aaron and Hur come along. They each grab an arm. And they held up his hands high in prayer. What an amazing picture for us as Crossview Church to be praying for, together as we engage this life in a spiritual battle. We need each other. We need to pray for one another. These are the values of Crossview Church Seeking God in prayer, knowing God through the Bible, encountering God in worship, growing in Christ together, influencing our homes, community, and the world. Look at the first one, seeking God in prayer. This is how we want to live out our lives. And that one's first because it brings fuel to all the rest. I love it when I see with my eyes these values lived out in the church family here at Crossview. We've been encouraging you, hey, pray with somebody before you leave if you have a prayer need. When I see you do that in praying, I see that you're bringing the kingdom of God into this person's life, doing spiritual battle. That just pleases my heart and encourages me to follow Christ all the more. I love it when I see prayer lived out in our church. This week I was walking around the church praying, and I saw some really, really cool things. I was in the youth room, in the apex room, and I saw this. This is a box where students, middle school and high school, in our student ministry called Apex, can take a card and they write a prayer request. And they drop it in the box, and leaders in Apex take that card and they pray for them. That's amazing. Parents, that's better than any program this youth ministry will ever put together. Parents, that's better than any mission trip that will ever happen coming out across your church. To have a group of people engaging in battle on behalf of your child in the spiritual realm is a gift. It's a beautiful thing. And I was blown away when I saw that this is what our student ministry does. All on their own. I never said anything. Kale and his team put that up. And then you know what I did? I was walking down the hall. And then I saw this. 
This is a sign in front of the children's ministry that before children's ministry starts, every Sunday morning as we gather, they pause and all the workers gather with Trevor and they pray for what's going to happen that Sunday in children's ministry. That's better than any children's program that can ever take place in this church. Not that programs are bad, but that's better. To have a group of individuals go to war on behalf in the spiritual realm for our kids in this world, in this day and age, that is gold. That's a blessing. And we need to open our eyes to see the power of that. We need to see the value of that. I heard another really cool story of prayer this week. There's a guy named Peter Gregg who wrote a book called A Simple Guide for Normal People, How to Pray. That's the title of the book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And he tells this story about how he got stranded at the airport in Chicago O'Hare. He's from England. That's where he lives. He was over in the United States doing some work and some teaching. He went to O'Hare to fly back to England. And this was the summer of 2010. You may or may not remember there was a volcanic eruption in Iceland and this ash cloud went all over Europe and grounded air traffic all over Europe for weeks. So he is told that it's going to be a matter of at least four or five days before he gets home to England. So he's sitting in Chicago. He can't go home, doesn't know what he's going to do. He said he had a few friends reach out and say, hey, you can sleep with us. You can stay at our place until you can figure out what to do. And he said, thanks. I might do that. I'm going to pray. And he went and he sat in the corner of the airport at Chicago O'Hare and he began to pray. He said, God, obviously you're in control here. You don't want me home right now. What do you want me to do? And this guy came to his mind named Joe. And Joe lived in Madison, Wisconsin, of all places. And he says, we weren't like really, really close friends. We were kind of acquaintances, but he kept coming to my mind. I didn't even have Joe's phone number. I had an email. So he opens up his computer and this was his exact email message. He said, hey, Joe, I'm stuck in the United States. Would you mind if I crashed on your couch for a few days? That's significant because of this. Joe, the day before, was delivered and given some horrible news. Some news that kind of shakes you to your core kind of news. And he was in his living room sitting on the couch with his wife and his pastor and people began to pray. He had intercessors that started to pray for him. And they all were saying, hey, Joe, we're praying for you. And his wife in this moment says, if you could have anybody on this couch right now to pray and walk you through this, who would it be? And Joe said, it'd be this guy named Pete. But it's kind of crazy because Pete's in England, and he lives in England, and he's never, ever come to our house. Then he opens his email, and he gets this email from Pete saying, hey, could I come crash on your couch for a couple days? Within hours of him saying that to his wife, that it would be Pete, it materializes, and here Pete is sitting on his couch, walking him through this thing that shook him to his core. Because God created an ash cloud of volcanic activity over Europe. It's amazing what God can do. Prayer is amazing because God's amazing. 
If you want to see another really cool story, I don't have time to get into it, but just make a note. Go to Acts chapter 12, 1 to 19. Watch what God does when the church gathers and prays. It will blow your mind. Prayer, especially praying together, is our best defense against the evil one, Satan. And I'm not going to lie, praying is hard work. And thankfully, we have one who is an intercessor who never, ever gets tired. Thankfully, there's one who prays for us constantly who never, ever gets weak. Do you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you right now? Do you know that Jesus Christ is a chief intercessor? Hebrews chapter 7 says, Therefore, Jesus, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is in heaven at the throne of God interceding for us here at Crossview Church. That's a mind-blowing thing. And he never, ever stops. And he never, ever gets weary. And he never, ever gets tired. It's good to remember what God has done. Number five. Look at 14 and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because his hands were lifted against the throne of the Lord. He's speaking about Moses. Moses' hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation to generation. I believe he's talking about that spiritual evil that was influencing the Amalekites. The church will battle against that for generation and generation until Christ returns. And then it will be done The people of Israel never forgot that day where Moses was on that hill. They probably talked about it. Remember when Moses held the staff and then he was getting tired and Aaron and Hur had to be in his pits and hold it up and God moved? Moses built an altar for the glory of God so that God would always be remembered. This is so important. Crossview Church, we need to do this as well. If you have stories of God moving powerfully in your life through prayer, email them to me. I want to hear these stories. I know they're there. Send us stories. We have to remember and be encouraged by what God has done. Charles Spurgeon says this. I think it's completely true. He says, God's people are prone to engrave their trials in marble and write their blessings in the sand. We're so quick to remember all the bad things that happened to us. It's etched. We talk about it. We never leave it. We go back to it. And then the blessings kind of disappear like sand on a beach. We need to remember the blessings of God. We need to remember what God has done, what he's moved, how he's moved, who he is. God remembered what Moses did in verse 16. It said, Moses lifted his hands against the throne of heaven. When he was going like this, praying, he was putting his hands, it says, in the throne of heaven. Wouldn't you love to be a part of something that's mentioned that you were part of something, you did something that affected, that was noticed in the throne room of heaven? Guess what? You can. It's called prayer. Every prayer does that. When we pray, something's noticed in the throne room of heaven. 
Become an intercessor. One of our goals at Crossview Church this year is we want to try to get 50 people who will commit and say, I will intercede for God's kingdom at Crossview Church. 50 people that we could send out a monthly prayer list to and say, please, go to battle and pray for these things. Bring these things before the throne room of heaven. If you want to be part of that 50, if you want to join that kind of army, just email me and say, sign me up. And when we put this together, we will do so. We want to see 50 people who will become intercessors. We will never accomplish the mission God has called us to do across the church unless we have a group of people praying in a spiritual battle. And it helps to remember who we're praying to. The Lord is your banner. This is how Moses summarized what God did. A banner is a military flag It's a piece of cloth that bears the insignia of the army or a division. Soldiers always look to the flag when they're confused about their identity. In the attack, in this war, they would look up and see who we are to make clear the identity. One of the biggest attacks of the evil one is to get people to God confused about their identity to be confused about who we are, to make us wonder if this Christianity thing is really true. Is God really all he says he is? Look to your banner. The Lord is your banner. Look to God for your identity. Look to God for your peace. Look to God for your strength. Look, for God, look to God for your hope. Look to God for your life. We're gonna close in prayer right now before we go into communion but I want to do it a little differently than we have in the past. I want us to become intercessors in this moment. And the way we're going to do that is I'm going to pray through this verse in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. I'm going to pray this scripture back to God, and I'm going to be kind of a voice for all of us as I do that. But here's what I want you to do as an intercessor. In this moment, I want you to think of one person that you know really needs prayer right now. Who's one person in your sphere of influence or in your life that really needs a touch from God right now? I know there's some of you here that have lots of needs. I know some of you here have lots of hurts and pains, and I respect that. And we'll, but think outside yourself. Who is a person that you can bring before the throne of God Maybe it's a person that's very far from God and they don't know God. Maybe it's someone who's close to God and they're going through a rough time. I don't know what it is, but think of one person that you want to bring before the throne room of heaven right now. And what I want you to do is I want you just to hold that person in your mind and heart as I pray this. And as I pray this, we're going to be saying this prayer for all the people that we're thinking of. We're going to be intercessors. How cool is that? So take some time, just a few seconds, I'm sure... Our hearts are such that it doesn't take us long to think of somebody. And then I'm going to pray this verse back for all of us, for the people that we're holding in our hearts, and then we'll take communion. Lord, in your presence, as we bring these people before you, we pray that their hearts would be enlightened. We pray that in the areas where they've been pulled down by darkness, you would bring light, that you would bring gospel light, that you'd bring heavenly light, 
God, we ask that you'd bring light in order that they may know the hope that is before him, that they may know how much you love them, that you sent your only son to die for them, that they may know the true joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open their hearts that they may see how good and amazing you are. And let that be a source of hope. Let that be a hope beyond anything that they've ever experienced in this world. Lord, I pray that all the other loves of the here and now in 2022 would fall so woefully short of this glorious hope and love that you'd bring into their heart. Lord, let them see that you called them to walk with you, to leave those things behind, to experience the riches of your glorious inheritance, to experience the fruit of what you did at the cross. God, let that be awakened in their soul And Lord, wherever they are now and whatever they are experiencing, I pray they would just sense your presence with them in this moment. God, I ask that you would come into their situation in a way that they could not explain or fathom, but it'd be transformative. They'd be renewing for your glory. We ask that you do this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.